Cody Proper was murdered on February 18th, 2019, and this is his sister and mother's story. Hello. Hi, it's Kelly calling from Morning the Murdered podcast. Oh, okay. This is Donna. Yes, hi. Okay, how are you? Uh, surviving. Hello? Hi, it's Kelly calling from Morning the Murder podcast. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm not too bad. Morning the Murdered is a podcast I created because in 1999, a friend of mine was murdered. My name is Kelly, and I am your host. I saw the effects that murder have on family members, and I wanted to give a voice to the loved ones of murdered victims. Every week, I interview the family member of a murder victim. So please be sure to tune in every Thursday to hear their stories on Morning the Murdered podcast. Simcoe is in Ontario, Canada, near Lake Erie. One of this town's notable landmarks is a memorial tower, which commemorates the lives of Canadians who died for Canada in conflicts overseas. It is called the Norfolk County Memorial Tower. What a lovely tribute. This town has very notable architecture and buildings featuring the international style typical of the early to mid-1920s. The residential buildings from the 1850s use the Gothic Revival style of architecture. Many of the buildings in downtown Simcoe have a blend of both the international style and the Art Deco style, which adds such bright colors to these buildings and make them look just beautiful. Simcoe has the only alligator boat left in operation in the entire world. These boats were a type of amphibious vehicle used in the forestry industry. Simcoe has the new Limburg Brewing Company as well as the Charlottesville Brewing Company. You can visit those while there and also the Villanova Estate Winery. In the wintertime, Wellington Park displays thousands of lights transforming the downtown parks into a winter wonderland. Cody Proper was born in Simcoe. His family moved to Prince Edward Island when he was a boy. How do you like it in PEI? To me, it's no different than living anywhere else. It's quiet. I'm not going to say peaceful anymore because it's far from being peaceful for me. When Cody was born and brought home from the hospital, his older sister Trudy was so excited to meet this new wee little brother of hers. Trudy was the second oldest child of the four siblings. And when Cody came home, she so desperately wanted to hold him. However, Trudy explains of how when her brother Sean was born and brought home from the hospital, she dropped him. So naturally, her mother kept her a little far away from Cody in the first little while. But quickly, Cody became older and bigger and was able to be cuddled by big sister Trudy. Tell me about the day of Cody's birth. Ah, uh, scary, scary. Scary? <laughs> really scary, yes. And, and why is that? Uh, it, it's because of what happened when I went into labor. Oh. Um, I had a really complicated, uh, I had to have a emergency C-section with him. He was head down at first, and then he did a complete spin and went feet down. Oh, my goodness. His one foot was stuck in my cervix, and the cord was wrapped around his neck. Oh, that's so scary. Like you said, that's the perfect word to describe it. That Oh, my goodness. And uh, I hemorrhaged really bad, really bad. Oh, no, that you had a really traumatic birth. Yeah, oh. and the doctor kind of called him uh, a miracle baby. I'll probably cry through this. He was born in uh, Simcoe, 
uh, Norfolk General. Okay. And how long did you live in Ontario for? Uh, I lived there all my life, right up until I started coming to the island in 94. Cody was two. Where was Cody born in the birth order? Cody was the baby. Oh, the baby. He was the baby. He still lived at home with us. These siblings hung out together all the time. They played outside and had such a blast, enjoying sports and hiking and anything really that was outdoorsy. Cody was so easy to please. And what was he like as a child? Uh, he, he, He was a good kid, really good kid. Like he got along with everybody. When he turned 16, he went on his first date. Um, Mama cried. Oh, your baby going on his first date. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah, I cried. And then he just, he remained living at home. He tried living out on his own once with his baby's mama. Mm -hmm. Uh, It didn't work. So he moved back home and he was at home all the time. So you had a very close relationship with him. Oh, really close, really close. Like, if he had girl problems, he would talk to me. Um, He worked with his father. Like, he would call me from work just randomly during the day, every day. He never missed a day. He would just call me to say, hey, Mom, what you doing? And I'd say, nothing. And (laughs) he'd say, oh, okay, love ya. (laughs) Gotta go back to work now. And now I don't have that. I Like, I can't even sleep at night. Can't. I stay up until, like, usually, like, round 1, one thirty, mm. Because I have nightmares. Mm-hmm. Uh, as soon as I go to bed at night, the first thing I see is him laying there. Mm. The first thing I see. So, I... I don't know. I deprive myself of sleep. Seeing as he was a little brother, he just, you know, in the big sister's hair and whatnot. And he loved being outside, like always from as soon as he woke up till like the lights come on outside, he would be out there just playing sports or mudding, whatever he could get into. And he just kind of carried that on as he got older, became a man still out just playing in the dirt and on his four-wheelers and stuff. Once he got older and uh, my stepdad like got him a dirt bike to start on, um, yeah, that was pretty much his sport ever since, <laughs> just motocross or four-wheeling or something of the sort. And Cody would go absolutely nuts if somebody ate the last like chocolate pudding. <laughs> he literally, like, I, I can't even like think of like what to compare to like kind of like a bomb going off or something (laughs) like just he he would get crazy and then mom would go cleaning in the bedroom and there's all kinds of little pudding cups emptied hidden away in cody's room down by his bed (laughs) (laughs) he was the littlest brother but then just became the youngest because after he hit about 13 or 14 years old we were all smaller than him he could pull a motor out of a car, probably with his eyes closed, and put it all together and put it back in, kind of thing. Wow! He so he he like was when it came to like engines and motorbikes or like anything like that. Like just he's a genius that way. Is there a particular story you'd like to share with me about your son? Um. Oh my goodness! I think I have. I don't know. I have a picture of him when he was about 16, maybe 17. I know he wasn't very old in it. And it's it's just me and him together. But he towers me. Oh, really? Yeah, he has his arms over my shoulders, and his head is, like, way above mine. Oh, my goodness. Like, yeah, he he was a big boy, but at birth he wasn't. Oh. At birth, he was like six pounds, twelve ounces. 
Oh my goodness. So not usually average, but not big, that's for sure. Yeah. And at the time of his death, he was like 200 and some odd pounds. So a very big boy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's nice. And, and he was tall as well, it sounds like, if he was towering over you like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he's even taller than his father. Oh, boy. So yeah, he, really... he was like he was like six foot something. Tell me about when you went dancing with him. He, tell me about that. Oh, it was funny. So funny. He's like the biggest country boy in the world. Like, wears plaid, the rubber boots, whatever, muddy trucks, and just all around fun. Like, just a country boy. And I think the only bar he actually had ever been to was like a legion. Okay. <laughs> for like the seniors yes. bar. <laughs> and so um, we went over to Moncton and I talked him into going dancing. And he, he had a bad foot because he had a four wheeler accident uh, last, like a year before, which left like a big hole in the side of his foot. Uh, and so he, he didn't think that he was going to be like, okay with like standing up and he's like well I'm not dancing I don't even know how to dance and <laughs> oh. this and that and then uh, I go to get uh, some drinks and I look to like over my shoulder to see where my brother was just cause like even though he's a giant and he was way larger than everyone in the crowd I still like worried that people were gonna like be pushy to him or something and so I looked over and he was not even behind me, but he was like in the booth giving his girlfriend a lap dance oh <laughs> right in front of everyone. And like two <laughs> seconds before that, he's like, you're not going to get me dancing. <laughs> and I looked and I was like, what the heck? Aww. So that was like fun. He's such a big guy and loud, but he just is like love and fun and laughs. Oh, that's, I love it. I love it. I can just picture because you've described him so well. And I've seen his pictures, six foot two, almost 300 pounds out there boogieing on the dance floor. It's so it's lovely, lovely to think about. That's a nice story. When Cody went to school, it seems as though he had a learning disability and the children bullied him. It is so awful when children bully other children. Schools really have to work harder on that to make sure that they're watching for children that are having a hard time and noticing when other children are bullying them. It is so important to a child's development and self-esteem to be safe and feel as though when they go to school, there won't be any issues that they have to worry about. It is hard enough for children with all the schoolwork but they need to feel as though they can go to school without incident, for goodness sake. Being bullied smothered Cody's voice, and his true self was just not able to come out in this environment. Cody was known by his family as being an absolutely hilarious guy, and he didn't have any place for hate in his heart. How wonderful is that? Being treated the way he was and still being the kind, loving boy that he always had been. Cody got older, he was still having trouble learning. But the school stepped in now and allowed his sister Trudy to either go into the classroom and help him or bring the schoolwork home to help him there. Trudy would read him the work and then he would do the answers. He did so much better this way of learning but he was still more of a hands-on guy and decided school wasn't the best match for him. Cody went to work with his father on a farm. He had moved out of the family home for a little while with his girlfriend at the time that was expecting his baby, but things weren't great between them. They decided it was best to go their separate ways. He tried really hard as it was important for him to be there for his child but things just didn't work out between them. Just before his ex-girlfriend, uh, when she got pregnant, they were, I guess, probably around that time they had their own place, but just one of the peoples from high school bullying him, 
uh, lived upstairs, and they kept on just bothering him. Like, they tried putting nails under his car tires. They tried, uh, like, they stole his four-wheeler keys and just a bunch of petty stuff like that. Like, and my brother was, like, working hard to, you know, pay for his things, and and these people are just ruining it. So he kind of just got fed up and... And he knew that there was always a bedroom at Mama and Daddy's house for him, so that's where he went. No one should have to live with being bullied. I mean, you know, that's harassment, that's bullying, and you, you should feel safe in your home. When you go home, it's your refuge. You go, you work, you come home, you relax. And someone to be treated like that in their home, that's just, that's just dreadful. I, I, I'm so sorry to hear that. That's terrible. Although his previous relationship did not work out, He was continuing to work on the farm, and there he met a new girl, and they fell in love. It was a tricky situation. This new girl was already in a relationship. She had two children and a fiancé. Cody told her he wanted no part of a love triangle. He wanted her to be happy, and he made sure that she thought it through carefully before she decided that she did not want to be with her fiancé and indeed wanted to start a new life with him. He was really clear with her that if she wanted to stay with her children and fiancé, he would walk away. It was important for her to be happy and whatever decision she made, he was going to completely respect. Cody's new girlfriend decided that this day, Monday, February 18th, 2019 was the day she was going to tell her fiance that she was leaving. After she told him, Cody went over to her home to be with her and start their new lives together. There were two children in the trailer, both under the age of 12 years old, in their home, asleep in the bedroom. Cody and his new girlfriend, that he loved and was looking forward to having a future with and spending a lifetime together were watching television when they saw a car pull up the lane, a car they recognized, a car that had her ex-fiance in it. This is the story of Cody Proper's murder. Tragedy struck. Cody's girlfriend went outside to speak with her ex-fiance. Nobody knows what was said in that conversation exactly, but then she turned around to come back into the trailer and he followed her. He pushed his way into the dark house, so dark that this girlfriend wasn't even able to find her phone at first after the attack. He moved through the house, down the hall, into the bedroom that Cody was in. He pulled out a gun and shot him four times. He shot him four times. Four. It is very clear that he went there to murder Cody. Cody's girlfriend finds the phone and calls 911 for help. Help is on the way. Help arrived. But help was too late. Cody was murdered. He was murdered in cold blood. Oh my goodness, how horrible. There were two children in the house. This is so absolutely heart-wrenching to think about the fact that two children were there. Both of the children were the girls' kids. And one of them, the younger one, was the murderer's own child. And he knew he was there. He knew he was in the house and went in there with a loaded gun and murdered somebody anyway. Oh my goodness. The girl woke up and looked out the window and saw the car tearing out of there at high speed after having committed this heinous crime. Cody, an innocent person, living his life with kindness and love in his heart, working on a farm, working hard to provide for his family, working hard to be a good man, a good father, to a child he would never meet 
because his baby was born only a few weeks after he was killed. And to be a good person. He was such a happy-go-lucky guy who let things just slide off his back. And he's sitting there watching TV and someone storms into the house and shoots him four times. Such absolute devastation. My brother had messaged me about 20 or quarter after 11 or so uh, at night. And he's like, hey, sister, what's going on? And I was like, not much. What are you doing? Like, just normal talk. And he's like, not much. Just hanging out with my girlfriend. And then I guess it was just 15 or 20 minutes after that or something. The guy showed up to uh, her house. I'm not entirely sure on what happened. And I guess we probably never will be like no for sure so I guess he just went in and just shot to kill like kill shots basically is what I called them when he shot himself I, from what I understood um, he messed up the first time he had to shoot himself a second time and kind of suffered it out the guy did the shooter so now the police have a daunting task of telling Cody's parents. They were at home, safely asleep in their bed, never in a million years thinking or considering or even having the thought of being a remote possibility that someone they knew could ever be shot. But their family member, their beloved son, who was still living with them at this time, in his anticipation of moving in with his new love and starting the next phase of his life? A son that his mother was so desperately close with? This son who called her every single day from work just to see how she was doing? Never in their wildest imagination could they have pictured this. The knock on the door came and when Cody's mother opened the door, the police were standing there. She wondered what could be happening, what's going on? They asked about Cody and asked if he lived there. And this loving mother thought, could Cody be in trouble with the law? But then the police told her that Cody had been shot and killed. Word of mouth is such a powerful tool, so please help us to reach as many listeners as possible and tell a friend, and let them know that we can be found on their favorite podcast platform. Also, don't forget to join our Facebook group, Morning the Murdered. I want to send a big thank you out there to all of our supporters. It's so nice in the podcasting world when you get help from others who have more experience. I wanted to thank Robin so much. Thanks, Robin. Hello, everyone. This is Robin Warder, host of the true crime podcast, The Trail Went Cold. If you grew up watching the classic television show Unsolved Mysteries, then this is the podcast for you. Each week, I profile a new unsolved murder or missing persons case and share all the baffling details. Afterward, I provide my own personal analysis and theories about what might have happened. This is a show for true crime buffs who are fascinated by cold cases and love to discuss them and pick them apart in an attempt to figure out the truth. So be sure to check out our podcast to learn about some truly bizarre unsolved mysteries where the trail went cold. You can donate to the Morning the Murdered podcast through Patreon or PayPal at morningthemurdered at gmail.com. That's M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G-T-H-E-M-U-R-D-E-R-E-D at gmail.com. Thanks so much for your generosity. And now back to the show. Three o'clock in the morning. 
Oh, my goodness. Am I impressed with the police? Not at all. Oh. Not at all. Really? They did the most shittiest job. I told them, I want justice for my son. I told them that several times. It took them one week, one whole week, to go to the guy's house where the gun come from. Oh, my goodness. How come? And I was like, what the hell? So when you found out he was killed, you said it was three in the morning. Did the police call you or did they come to your house? They they come to my house. I answered the door and like we have four dogs and I had went out on the deck. The one cop looked at me and he said, are you Donna? And I said, yes. And he said, do you have a son named Cody? And I looked at him and I said, yeah. I said, why? I said, what did he do? Because I thought maybe he, you know, was drinking and driving or, you know, got in trouble with the police. And the cop goes, he got shot. And I said, what do you mean he got shot? I said, where is he? He goes in Borden. And I said, I want to see him. And he goes, you can't. He's deceased. And I, like, my knees buckled. I come back in the house, and I told my husband that Cody was shot and that he was dead. And we had asked to go there where he was, and they they wouldn't even allow us. We didn't even see him. Didn't even get to see him. And why is that? I don't know, because normally it has to be a family member that identifies them. We didn't even get to see him. So who identified him? I I think it was the girl that was there. So he was killed and his mother was not allowed to go and identify his body and see him? Nope. Nope. Now, do you think they did that? to protect you from what you may have seen? Or do you think they just didn't let you go? My husband screamed at them. Like he was like inches from the cop's face and he said, I want to see my son. And the cop said, no, I'm sorry. He said, you can't. He said, it's, a, it's an investigation scene or whatever. My head is telling me that he's gone, but I didn't get to see him, so how do I know it's true? How did you find out that your brother was murdered? My mom called me. It was about quarter to three or something, I think, about around there, and I was just just fell asleep, and I thought I was, like, dreaming, but I heard the phone ring, and then I, like, sat up, and I was like, what? Somebody's calling my house phone, and they're, like, I don't. I didn't even know anyone knew my phone number, <laughs> but then I uh, answered, and I could hear my mom's voice. You know how somebody has just that voice where you know something is wrong, yes. or like how they say your name. She was just like Trudy, and then I was like, no, 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 and I could hear my mom like screaming, and I dropped the phone and screamed and got sick. I threw up so hard that I, and like cried so hard that my stomach came out of my C-section scar. I like ripped my C-section scar open on the inside and my bowel came right through from the strain of crying. It came out after that the murderer went to his brother's house. He told him of the breakup with his ex-fiance and that it was final. He told him that he had just found out and he was heartbroken and devastated. His brother said, sit down, have a beer and a few laughs tonight, and we'll talk about it tomorrow. The murderer said, okay, I'll just hang out here. But first, I just have to go to the bathroom. He went to the bathroom and came back five minutes later and said, you know what? I've thought about it, and I just want to be by myself tonight. I'm going home. He left there and went straight over to his ex-fiance's house and murdered Cody. He blamed Cody for their breakup. He blamed him and decided that if he couldn't have the girl, 
Cody certainly wouldn't. The vehicle that this little girl saw speeding away? Well, this vehicle took the murderer to a beach while he was sitting there after he had just shot and killed somebody he apparently called his brother and apologized for getting him involved as he took the guns from his brother's gun safe and then he called his mother to tell her what had happened and after that he killed himself the gun come from the guy's brother okay it was cody cody searle and dylan searle it was dylan searle that shot my son and he was at his brother's house that night drinking and the police said that it took him five minutes five freaking minutes to go through four safety locks through a a metal door that takes a key to unlock. Then he had to unlock two other cases for the gun cabinet and the bullets and a trigger lock, which was a combination lock. And my question to the police was, how in the hell did he know the combination to a trigger lock? How? How did he get the keys to get in that room? Hopefully what Trudeau has done, hopefully it will put a stop. It is so tragic when there are warning signs that are only really apparent as hindsight. Apparently, the killer had transferred all of his money from his bank account to his brother's account, saying, please keep this money aside for my son. And he did this just a few days before he murdered Cody. He had said, you can be with anybody you want, anybody but Cody Proper. If you end up with Cody, I'm telling you, I will kill him. I will shoot him. Oh my goodness. But she told you this after his murder. Yep. Oh my goodness. People really have to take threats on somebody's life seriously. If somebody says that, you have to go to the authorities and tell people and warn them and speak out about it. You can't sit around pretending this may not happen. He never ever even talked to Cody. And Cody had said, if Amanda and Dylan want to work things out, I will step back. I don't have a problem with it. Like I can, you know, if it works, it works. Great. If not, then me and her will be together. And did and you know this guy? Like, did you know him personally or just through I stories? Met, I met him once. Okay. Met him once and I did not like him. Didn't oh. like him. Right. I just, I, he just gave me bad vibes. Like, he was arrogant, ignorant, mouthy. He, he was so rude to her. This murderer would say things like, I'll shoot him, but it wasn't taken seriously. There needs to be more done to give people the tools to understand when a situation should be really taken seriously. Sometimes people might find it hard to know, of course, and that's understandable, but that's why education needs to be given. How about in the later years of high school? Explaining really clearly about warning signs for domestic violence. People think, ah, oh, he's not serious. He would never do that. But you just never know. Society needs to take this more seriously. And there has to be a way that people can get help when they need an intervention. They need to know where to go. The person who is experiencing domestic violence or hearing threats isn't the one that's equipped to deal with the situation. Professionals need to be in charge, to be available, to see if help is really needed, to see if there's potential for a serious altercation to happen for violence to happen, for murder to happen, Cody's murder. 
I'm kind of angry at her because she didn't say anything to us. As his parents, she knew that Dylan had threatened to shoot Cody. There's so many unnecessary, like, deaths because of, like, domestic violence. I mean, I've had, uh, like, a pissed-off ex-boyfriend before say, you know what, like, threaten, make some kind of a threat or whatever, and I would laugh. I wouldn't be worried or scared or, like, nothing bad would come in my mind. I'd probably say, hey, where do you want to meet? Just because I'm cocky and, like, just don't take that stuff too seriously because it doesn't happen. But now, with my new reality, anything can happen. So when my ex had mentioned that he had a gun and that he was going to use it on me, I went to the police like for the first time in my life and I got a stay away order. The family is of course devastated by the loss of their son and brother Cody. The case is closed. No other charges will be laid unless something new develops in the case. The family is very concerned that the murderer was able to get access to the guns at his brother's home. The police only went over to the brother's house a few days after the murder. And when they went, they found that everything was in order. The gun cabinet was locked, weapons were registered. The family feels like they should have gone over sooner as they don't understand how the murderer was able to get the key to the locked room. Did you ever get any counseling? No. I would, I would rather have a counselor that went through the same thing because if you haven't wore these shoes, you're never going to understand. And I don't care how much education you have. Like, nobody will ever understand unless you wore the shoes of losing a child. Yes, and particularly to murder, it's completely like, different. I have talked to a stranger. She lives somewhere in the States. Um, I just recently started talking to her, and me and her have so much in common. Well, that's all. good. That's your counseling, then. I'm glad to hear that. I mean, counseling comes in all kinds of forms, mm -hmm. right? It can be mm -hmm. group group counseling with other survivors of murder victims. It can be one-on-one -on -one counseling, or it could be like you've done. You found somebody like-minded. Uh, I had posted a picture of me and my son. It was like probably three or four months after he had passed. Um, I had posted a picture on the website and had asked if there was any message for me from my son and they had come back and my son had a, a learning disability of how to write properly like he would write words the way they sounded and one of the messages was he had said I tried to hold on mama I'm sorry I couldn't hold on any longer and he had said that he loved me and mm. I was his number one fan oh, and nice? he had said not to torment myself because I would make myself ill. Since Cody's murder this loving heartbroken devastated mom has seen a lot of change in her life. Friends seem to be more distant. People that came around after Cody's murder seem to be not around anymore. Things she didn't expect. Reactions that are new, that make it very hard to spend time outside or just to spend time at all. There's a gun shooting range just up the road from us. And it just, I don't know, if i if there was some way that I could have that changed, I would, because I can be outside working in my flower beds, like, you know, trying to have one of them good days, and then all of a sudden you hear guns going off. Oh, and that must trigger so much sadness oh, yeah. in you. What feelings, mm -hmm. what feelings do you feel when you hear the guns going off? What is that like for you? It, it's It's terrifying. 
um, I cry like as soon as I hear them. I can't like I can't even watch shows on TV anymore where people get shot. I can't even begin to imagine what you must have been feeling when you when you heard that. How do you even react to that or move through your days? That's I'm very very sorry. It, it's very very hard. Very hard. There is like so many things that I can I can get up in the morning like I can go for like sleep for like six hours and I get up and I just kind of say to myself okay I want to have a good day today and there'll be something like out of every day there's something that will trigger it'll remind me of him he was a big country and western music lover and there's so many songs that like at the beginning I couldn't even listen to any song I I would just bawl and now I listen to them because it brings me good memories of him how did the murder of your brother affect you uh me personally um my mental health deteriorated um I have been put on a ton of different medications for depression and anxiety and um, like night terrors just because I had heard so many different details from like the police reports and everything uh, it just put such a like vivid picture in my mind that I was having nightmares that I was there Mm -hmm. and I was trying to save them and like then they started happening when I wasn't even asleep I'm like I was seeing things and so, yeah, I was uh, not in such a good shape. I, I'm not a whole lot better these days, but just the doctor has me quite medicated so I don't cry because otherwise I, I can't stop crying <laughs> ever. And uh, all while trying to be strong for my mom because she's my best friend and we always leaned on each other, but... We kind of couldn't this time around because neither of us were strong enough to lean on one another. Mm. So we, our whole family is just different now. My mom's really different. Everyone's life changes after a loved one has been murdered. And unfortunately, a huge percentage of people really fall down a deep hole where trouble is waiting. It is so awful to hear about this. Another horrible ripple in the surroundings of the after effects of murder. The week that my brother was killed, like after the funeral service has passed and everything, and I just, I needed to get off the island type thing, like just to stop answering questions or, or, you know, the reminders and stuff. And so that's when I met uh, the fellow that had the gun. We got pulled over in Nova Scotia, and now there's a gun charge. Like I'm going for like to court through, and like my mom's extremely disappointed. It was not my gun or anything, but I was there, and so basically court will clear my name. But um, so you were with a guy who had a gun, and you were with a guy who had a gun in the car. You mean? Yeah, like he picked one up. Yeah, like we went to Nova Scotia for something like to take the baby to like this big elephant park type thing and just while we were over there one of his friends got a hold of him and said whatever but he didn't really tell me about it until like later when it was a little bit too late like I didn't know him or anything and he he just needed a ride to Halifax and I just wanted to go off the island so I'm like hey I'll give you a ride or whatever and I'll do my own thing while you're busy and then that was it but he uh, oh my goodness so I, oh so he that's wasn't a how, good guy right and I was I was just in a low spot myself yes. because of just losing my brother been going to counseling like because when we got arrested like there was only one gun but we both got charged because the police obviously knew that it was his like his criminal history began when I was like three years old was his first time in jail or something so like the cops know right that it was not mine or whatever and but uh 
my youngest daughter was in the vehicle with us. Oh. And so basically the little gun charge, because the owner didn't take responsibility for it and like told me to say that it was mine kind of thing. Um, Did he actually so, say that? He asked you to say it was yours because of his criminal yeah. past? Oh, what yeah. a creep. I oh. was placed in the back seat of the cop car in handcuffs, and I watched him hand my baby over to CPS. <gasps> she was taken away. for She had to stay in a foster home while I had to stay in jail for a night in Nova Scotia. And then... Uh, it was nearly three months before I could get her back out of foster care. I was on supervised visits just right up until last week. I, this week right now is my first week unsupervised with sleepovers. <laughs> and it's been crazy. It's like I've been a mom for 16 years almost, like since I was 17, and not having my kids for, I mean, I had them, but just supervised, like, was kind of... I mean, I totally understand where the CPS, like child protection, was coming from and stuff like that, but kind of hard to explain to, like, those people when all they see is, like, what was in the news and the person I was with, and, like, that's just where they stuck me, but trying to tell them I was just in a low point because of everything that went on, and now, like, I lost, at that time of the arrest, I lost my kids, my house, my car, and my job mm. and all my friends <laughs> and uh, so now we're just building that back up got the kids back and house yeah. well criminals seek out vulnerable people because they yeah. know that they can manipulate and take advantage of them and you were vulnerable yeah. at that stage in your life I, I'm sure you're usually a strong yeah. person but not right then so he yeah. knew that yeah, exactly at home Trudy's eldest son was waiting waking up, wondering where mom was. The two-and-a-half-year-old baby was in the car, and Trudy watched as Child Protective Services took her away to be placed in foster care. This child had never been separated from her mother before, and now Trudy was only allowed two to four hours a week of supervised visits. She had an even more difficult time now trying to stay sane. Her brother murdered and now separated from her children. She feels very lucky and proud that she didn't at this point, with all of this free time and all of this tragedy, turn to drugs or alcohol or slide into an even deeper depression feeling there was a possibility. If she hadn't fought to possibly never have been able to recover and get her life back on track, she took part in the mandatory family violence protection and grief counseling. And she is so thankful and happy that she did as it helped her so much. When is the court case the lawyer, I think, said that it starts back up in August is when he's expecting. So, but, but they um, feel I'm probably like... going to have to testify against my ex-boyfriend. Oh my! Because uh, he's trying his. Uh, he had a storefront business, Summerside, that was raided when they found the gun, but mm. they also found drugs too. Oh boy! So he's like got like twelve or thirteen charges or something, and mm. yeah. So How does that make you feel? not okay for a man to treat a woman like this and so my my kids were pretty my daughter was proud like uh, I don't want her to think that that's normal or that it's even okay so wow there's a lot of people calling me a rat around town and it's not ratting yeah. I, I, that's something that drives yeah, me so. crazy and and our whole mentality in the world has to change over this if somebody yeah. is doing a criminal act and you tell on them you're a hero not a rat stand up and speak out when someone does something wrong which you did showing your children such courage and i am so proud of you for doing that congratulations fantastic cody's sister trudy will never be the same without the brother she loved so much the depths of her sadness are beyond words for her and she is lonely without him you can hear the absolute devastation in Cody's mother's voice, the loss, the sadness, 
the hole in her life. And you know that Cody will be in their hearts, thoughts, forever. And although death through murder leaves the deepest sadness that no one can ever heal, memories and love are forever yours to share. We mention Cody's name often. Like, I, I'm always talking about Cody. And like I said um, to his sister, he will always remain here because he's going to live through me. And I, some of the things that I do is things that he's done. Some of the things that I say, it sounds like him saying it. I never changed his bedroom. I left it the same way. I I even have his pair of shoes that he was wearing that night. Like mm. I I won't get rid of nothing. Nothing. Is there anything else you'd like to say about your son? Uh just say I love him, miss him. Mm. I'm sure he loves you and misses you as well. He was my boy. He was mama's boy and yeah. my baby. Thanks for being with me today. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Okay, you take... Somebody's going to remember my son. Yes. Yes, that's what we're here for. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much. You take care and have a good day. You too. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Yep, not a problem at all. All right, thanks. Okay, take care. Bye. Cody's mom wanted me to be sure to have the listeners know about an amazing shop that will take cremated ashes and make a custom piece that you can cherish forever. So please check out Memories on Hand. They are in PEI and their creation has given immense comfort. I'm not quite sure how people move on after a tragedy. There are support groups online and face-to-face, and there are books and family and friends to lean on. But in reality, when someone loses a loved one to murder, they lose a piece of themselves that can never be returned. Memories are all that are left. So talk about your loved one, and let the world know how important they will be to you forever. These memories become valuable treasures. No one will ever understand your pain, but surround yourself with those that can understand how important it is for you to share your story. I will now light a candle for the victim and their loved ones, ensuring their memory lives on and burns brightly. You are remembered. I want to take a moment and extend my most sincere and humble gratitude to each and every one of you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, or if you would like your voice to be heard on Morning the Murdered and tell the story of your loved one, email me at morningthemurdered at gmail.com. That's M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G-T-H-E. M-U-R-D-E-R-E-D at gmail.com Thank you to Dennis for editing this podcast. You are absolutely indispensable. Thank you so much. A huge shout out to Patrick for creating the original music that you hear. And the artwork for this podcast was created by Talia with support from Matt and Mick. Thanks so much, guys.